There is a massive part of the immigration conversation that you have probably failed to consider, so let's consider it with Jamie Escott from 1% for America. Let's start with some introductions. Jamie, I would love if you could tell me more about who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Sure thing. So I'm Jamie Escott. I'm the Senior Vice President at 1% for America. Been there for about a year. Prior to that, I was doing um, marketing of all sorts at Harvard Medical School, a bunch of different ad agencies, and Boston hospitals. And um, this role really gave me the opportunity to use my marketing superpowers to do good on a subject matter that's really dear to me, which is immigration. Yeah, and I want to dig into this this concept of doing good because I, I'm sure as people can probably imagine, anybody who has listened to Thinking is Cool before can probably surmise that I am somebody who uh, cares deeply about issues like immigration. Um, it's not a topic that I have tackled directly on the show, but I think if you just, you know, look me up on Twitter, you can probably figure out uh, exactly how I feel about it. But I did have a, a kind of a moment when I was reading about 1% for America for the first time where all of a sudden it hit me, there's so much that I don't know. And that's why we're doing this today. I first found out about 1% for America reading a deal book. The piece was about the cost of becoming a full citizen of the United States. And before we get into anything about 1% for America, I do want to share this from deal book. All in, including green card, application for citizenship, legal fees, and payments for processors, at least one estimate puts the cost of citizenship at as much as a $11,000. So with that in mind, tell me more about what 1% for America does. What's the mission and how do you accomplish it? Sure thing. Yes, that stat is just astonishing. It has a lot to do uh, with why we do what we do. So um, there's a major issue in this country. So there are about 9 million immigrants living here in the United States legally. Um, that means that they've been here for three to five years. They're eligible for citizenship. They're green card holders. Yet over 90% of them never apply um, to become U.S. citizens. And most of them want to become U.S. citizens. And one of the number one reasons they list for never pursuing it is the cost associated with doing so. 1% um, for America, we, um, we address one portion of those costs, which are the, the uh, fees associated with applying to the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, which is an agency within Homeland Security. So they have fees that are associated with doing so. And it's just a major barrier for folks who are already sort of behind the eight ball. As immigrants, they're here, they're often making um, lower incomes than their US counterparts. They have less access to affordable credit and other means to pay. Um, so those fees that you mentioned become even higher because they're turning to credit cards and other high interest rate options to pay for these fees. So at 1% for America, we said we can, we can help with this. Um, if we combine this need with a simple solution and some innovation, we can create a really scalable model. And so how it works is we've created this online platform at 1% 1%forAmerica.org that allows folks who really care about immigration and organizations who really care about um, immigration to either donate or lend into a loan fund. And it allows for immigrants to borrow from that loan fund, pay back the loan over the course of a year with no hidden fees or anything like that. And then that money can go back to another immigrant. So it becomes incredibly scalable. 
And um, our name was formatted around the, the fact that it's at a 1% interest rate, which is pretty unheard of considering the other options like credit cards often come at a 22% interest rate. And we all know how that works. It compounds and just really puts you behind the eight ball. So um, we're really excited that we can offer this and um, that there's really no limits to the amount of folks that we help because it is so very scalable. So our ultimate goal is to really take a chunk out of that 9 million that I referenced in the beginning. Absolutely. 9 million is just so many. It's it's so many people eligible for citizenship in this country. Uh, but what exactly is the reasoning for, you know, if, if you are a legal immigrant who's living in this country who has not pursued citizenship or full citizenship of the United States of America, why should you? Why is this something that is sought after? I think when it comes to an individual person, there's something to the fact of feeling like you belong, right? That you really belong in the place in which you live. So that's first and foremost. Um, then there are other real, you know, more tangible reasons like you can vote and better represent your community in which you live and have a say in things. Um, then there's always the factor of US citizens make more money and are eligible for more jobs. So all of those things combined um, really are good motivation for becoming a US citizen. Not to mention that when you are a US citizen, you no longer have to worry about different administrations and the immigration policies changing. You're here, you're a part of things, you have all the rights of any other U.S. citizen when you're naturalized. Yeah, and I, I think that probably is uh, magnified given the political events of, of recent years from administration to administration. The status of what it means to be an immigrant in the United States has changed pretty drastically. How does your work change or is it impacted at all by the fact that that is a conversation that people have in a political sense? Regardless of where people sit on the political spectrum, uh, the majority of folks in this country are actually pro-legal immigration. The hot button issues come into play when we're talking about undocumented citizens and, and people feeling really passionately about um, folks coming into the country in an illegal manner. So what we do is actually um, pleasing to most political agendas, right? We're, we're helping people who are here legally just take the next step. Um, and help folks that would not otherwise do so because of the financial barriers realize their hopes to live an American life. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And the financial barriers can be, like you were talking about before, pretty massive. But when I think about how I understand immigration as somebody who was born in the United States but tends to have pretty progressive politics, the cost, quite frankly, is something that I had never really considered. And I'm almost embarrassed to say that because I am somebody who works in business news, who talks about politics quite a bit, and yet I had never really considered the cost. Why do you think it is that people don't necessarily consider that uh, when we have conversations about immigration? And I guess, do you see that that changing at all? That is a really great question. And first, thank you for being one of the few who is willing to talk about the cost associated with it. I think, um, ironically, a lot of the conversations that we have about um, immigrants and immigration leave out a very important party, which are is the immigrants themselves. So um, we're led by what the media is covering and sort of the highly politicized portions of um, the topic of immigration. But when you talk to immigrants themselves, like we have, you will find that 
this cost is one of the biggest conversations that they're having, right? Uh, ironically, we, um, we performed a, a national blind uh, survey of over 1,200 immigrants, and we asked them, hey, do you want to become a citizen? Everyone said yes, you know, uh, up to 90% of folks wanted to become naturalized citizens. And then we said, well, why aren't you becoming a, a, a naturalized citizen? Amongst the top three reasons were the fees associated with it. This is a topic immigrants are talking about. And so we're, we're so thrilled that we have this platform to be able to get it out and into the world because people are not asking immigrants directly. Yeah, it's such, a, it's such an important point. And, you know, especially the entire concept of thinking is cool, the ethos of this show at its core is to talk about things in a way that maybe we hadn't before. And I feel like this has been a real moment for me in researching before talking to you today and in this conversation, even just understanding the fact that there's so much that I don't know because I just haven't experienced it. It's so important to ask these questions about what that experience could be like, because it is so vastly different from the experience that I have had in, in my 27 years as an American citizen. Um, and with that in mind, I'm, I'm curious to, to consider what this might be like kind of on the global stage. Is the experience similar in, in peer countries? Are there costs associated with immigration um, for countries that are like the United States, but are not the United States? It's really all over the map. So some countries, it's a free process. Others, um, the, the costs associated with it are quite similar to what you'll see in, here in the US. So it's really all over the place. But what I can tell you is that in the US, it is obviously costly. And it's also very, very time consuming. So the whole process can take up to two years just to get the approval. Um, and it could be incredibly expensive based on your individual situation. So we're talking a lot about um, about the USCIS fees directly. But if you have any legal concern or legal um, issue that you're dealing with, it can go up and up and up from there with um, legal fees. So um, although, you know, it, the US is, is likely one of the highest costs um, for, for a barrier to become a, a, a citizen, um, other countries are facing some similar issues, but it's truly all over the map. So why does that barrier exist in the first place? And, you know, I, I understand that um, open borders is kind of a hot button issue, but where do these costs come into play in terms of trying to structure an incentive system for people who want to become full citizens of the United States? Why are the costs there in the first place, I guess, is is the first part of this question. And the second part is, where does that money go, right? Like that is that is revenue for some department. For what is it used? Do we know? We do know, yes. Um, so the um, governmental agency that um, is responsible for processing naturalization and these applications is the USCIS. And they um, do not work off of taxpayer dollars. They work off of these fees. Um, they rely on these fees to cover their operational costs. And just like everything else in this country, we're experiencing inflation and rising costs. So is the USCIS, right? So um, therefore the fees need to cover that. And, and the fact of the matter is right now, the fee structure isn't covering all the operational costs of the USCIS. So, um, in all likelihood, the fees will continue to go up from here, raising the barrier even more. Um, so really it's just a matter of a, a government agency that has a structure where the burden is directly on the immigrants themselves and not the taxpayers. And we don't dispute that at 1% for America. We realize that it's a necessity and how it's always worked, but it's just the reality 
that as a burden on the immigrant, that there's going to be a barrier that prevents a lot of people from ever applying. It's interesting to wonder what the USCIS might look like if it were taxpayer funded. What do you think it would be? I mean, do you think it it would change the number of people who are seeking full uh, citizenship in the US? I do. I do. I think it would um, obviously raise more controversy um, with folks that they're contributing to it, folks that might not necessarily want to contribute. Um, but I do think it would would likely open the doors a little bit more because as I referenced the, in our survey, this is the big issue for people, um, why they never apply. And ironically, with all of this, immigration does a lot of good for our country. Just look right now at all of the um, employment issues, all of the open positions that we can't fill Yet there are all these folks that can't fill them because they don't have um, U.S. citizenship status, right? Um, so it's this never-ending conundrum, right, um, of the need, but the structure doesn't work. And there's a million and one reasons why it doesn't work. Um, and there are so many people looking at all of the different factors that contribute to the, the issue of immigration. Um, at 1% for America, we're touching this one piece, right? The USCIS fees. And we really hope that it helps to make an impact um, in a similar way to if, you know, there was a, a larger overhaul of the, the structure of how immigration is, is uh, serviced in America. So is the goal with 1% for America to to decrease the immediate cost or to um, maybe defray some of the immediate cost of seeking full citizenship with the goal being more full citizenship or, or more people seeking to become citizens of the United States as immigrants to this country? Absolutely. That's everything that we're doing. We want more people to become U.S. citizens. And um, we also want to limit the time it takes them to, to become citizens. So um, in that survey, I keep referencing the number one reason that people don't apply um, amongst the top three that I keep referencing is the time that it takes. And the fact of the matter is one huge contributing factor to the amount of time it takes is that these folks have to save the money, right? And just like the rest of us, emergencies pop up, other needs pop up. And so this gets placed on the back burner so often for folks. So um, we, in this online platform that we have, you instantly get approved for the loan with with very few qualifications um, or, or requirements, right? You have to pass a, a you know the terrorist checklist. You have to have a valid um, U.S. bank account so you can pay back your loan. Um, but when you're approved, then you have that money in hand to apply instantly. So that number one factor of the time it takes is also nullified, right? So you have those two huge things that were barriers, no longer barriers. So yes, um, we're hoping when we we lower those barriers that many more people will become naturalized citizens. I think it would be remiss not to ask about the risks of something like this. At the end of the day, this is a, an endeavor that is financial in nature. So I'm curious about what some of the risks are that you take into consideration with the work that you do. So um, anytime you have sort of unsecured debt or loans going out, you know, you have the risk that people aren't going to pay it back. And we're really committed to keeping this incredibly ethical. So we don't have late fees. We don't, we never raise the 1% fee. But what we have faith in is the, the grit and the determination that this immigrant group um, has innately, right? 
These are folks that have learned an entirely new country who are navigating a whole new system. So they just have a tendency to uh, want to do good, want to stay here, do everything right. The other thing um, that we do in order to sort of prevent the, the financial risk is we really emphasize that each borrower is part of a much larger picture. When they pay back their loan, they're paying it forward to another immigrant, right? So that also really helps. And and these borrowers get it. You know, they're they're paying back. They get it. This is a, a, a group of folks with a lot of integrity that just really want to realize their goals. Um, so although it is a risk, you know, um, lending out dollars um, that, you know, at a 1% rate with no late fees, we're doing it with a really great group of folks who we believe in. And so um, it works out ultimately. Do you have many people who default? I mean, is that a, is that a concern? It is a concern. Of course, it's a concern as we're formulating this this program. You know, and we um, we started lending at the beginning of the year. So we're kind of learning about that and watching trends and learning about, um, well, what helps to prevent that, right? Um, what we're really good at is working directly with people. Um, we're a, a business that is formulated around humans. So um, it's really a human to human approach when people are even defaulting. And when we have that human to human interaction, people get it and we understand their scenarios and, and the vast majority of folks say, this is when I will be able to do it, right? And we work with folks to make sure that they can. Okay. Now, I want to take a minute here to to really zoom out. You know, a lot of what we've been talking about are some of these big picture concepts, but I want to get even more big picture and talk for a moment about just the status of immigration in the United States. We can't have this conversation. We're talking in, in late June without referencing the fact that just recently we had a, a major tragedy in Texas, 50 plus migrants who uh, were found either dead or dying um, in a truck in Texas. It's heartbreaking when you hear stories like that and when you see the photos from the scene and when you consider that these were human lives, you know, it's it, it almost makes me sick to my stomach to think about it. How do we try to create a, a more positive or, uh, you know, a more optimistic sense of immigration in the U.S. when we hear stories like that all the time. Yeah, what happened in Texas is just a massive tragedy. And um, it's really just unbelievable. One thing it does show is that people really, really want to be here, right? Um, Imagine the gravity of making that decision, getting yourself in a scenario where literally your life is at risk um, just for the goal of getting into this country. The barriers are just too great. The system in the U.S., no matter who you are, no matter how you're getting here, no matter how much money you have in your pocket, the system is incredibly complicated. So people turn to these other attempts that could literally put their lives at risk, right? So um, we're hoping that <clears throat> overall, the system for becoming a citizen starts to feel more attainable to folks so that those um, types of attempts are not necessary ultimately. You know, when, when I hear you explaining this, I have been guilty, as I'm sure many people who are listening to this episode have been as well, of saying, like, things just feel so messed up in this country sometimes. Maybe we should just move, right? Like, maybe I should just give up and go to Canada or Finland or wherever, you know. 
But when you consider the enormous luck that I was born in this country, that I have all of these opportunities just by virtue of the fact that I was born in the United States, it's astounding. And I, I think that it it gives me pause, and necessarily so, from thinking in that frame of mind of, well, I'm just going to leave because things are messed up. Like, no, we should fight for something better. We should make this better because people are literally risking their lives just to feel what it's like to be in our shoes as U.S. citizens. And that is just, it's, it's, I don't know, I'm having like an epiphany as we're talking about this right now, you know, because it, it's important to think this way. We can't just say things are messy and bad and unfair. I'm going to give up. Things are messy and bad and unfair. Let's make them better, right? Like, let's make things easier. Let's make it better for people who are trying to come to this country. Let's make things better in this country. Mm -hmm. And living in a democracy, which is something to be grateful for, gives us that opportunity to all have a voice, right? And I think so often that's why people do come here, right? In their home countries, they might not have the opportunity to have a voice. So here, whether you think it's messed up, perfect, or somewhere in between, at least you have an opportunity to help mold what it's gonna be in the future, right? Because each of us has a voice and that is very much tied into our overall mission is to help people who are living here anyway and, you know, immigrants, oftentimes people think about the folks at the border. These are your neighbors. These are people that you interact with every day. Um, they're not hiding out. They're contributing to our country. They're doing good. Um, so we want to give them the opportunity to have a voice so they can help our country and then also have a life where they do have a say. Right. So it's all tied in to that big picture. I have uh, one last question for you, Jamie. As we consider the future of, of immigration, I'm curious what the future of 1% for America looks like as well. What do you have on tap? What are you excited about? What do you see your work looking like in the next couple of years? Sure. Well, as word gets out about 1% for America by amazing uh, platforms like yours, uh, we're hoping that we attract more borrowers and help people um, get through the system that we, we just uh, talked about at length. We're also hoping that we can get the word out to folks that want to support, right? Folks that want to, um, to do, have the same mission that we do, um, that they want to either lend or donate into this loan fund so that more and more immigrants can be helped. Um, what's really unique about being a supporter of 1% for America is that each one of your dollars that you donate or lend, because you can lend, which means you're gonna get your dollars back in two years time, um, those dollars get recycled over and over and over again. It's for people who want to make a big impact and who believe in the scalability of a loan fund where it's not a handout, it's a loan where people pay back so more people can get help. So. That's really our vision is just growing um, and being able to make as big of an impact as possible. Well, I am excited to watch it play out. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, this is an issue that I, uh, I think, quite frankly, had not paid enough attention to for a very long time. And I am really, really grateful for your time, Jamie, for walking me through all of this, for explaining what 1% for America is doing, uh, but also more broadly, just what's going on with immigration in the U.S. This has been, obviously, I said I had an epiphany. I was not lying. This has been an eye-opening conversation. Um, and I'm just so grateful for your time. Thank you so much for joining me today. Kenzie, thank you so much for giving us this platform. Really excited. I'm, I'm grateful for your epiphany. I hope that other um, listeners also have that same epiphany and come to check us out at 1%forAmerica.org.